You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Last week, if you wanted to rent a car but didn't want to do business with a car rental company that was in bed with the National Rifle Association, furiously filleting the National Rifle Association, you didn't have many options. Hertz, Avis, Budget, Alamo, True Car Enterprise, all corporate partners of the National Rifle Association. What a difference a week makes. You know, actually I was about to say, what a difference a week and a pile of dead students make. But we've seen piles of dead students before and stepped right over them. We've had eight school shootings in the United States since the first of this year. Scores of school shootings since the massacre at Columbine High School. And we've seen school shootings with much higher body counts. Sandy Hook, where 26 were killed and two were injured. Virginia Tech, where 32 were killed and 23 were injured. And nothing changed. We stepped right over the bodies of those students just as we stepped over the bodies of country music fans in Las Vegas and nightclub patrons in Orlando and movie fans in Colorado. But this time, it's different. Maybe it's the moral clarity and passion of the students at Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, these theater kids and debate club members, and Emma Gonzalez, the president of the school's Gay-Straight Alliance, who now has twice as many followers on Twitter as the NRA, Those kids, these kids, these amazing kids, they don't seem to suffer from the learned helplessness that prompted the rest of us to shrug off massacres because the NRA was just too powerful. Or maybe in addition, we've reached the tipping point. Maybe the pile of dead bodies has finally grown too large to ignore. Whichever one it is, I am glad I am alive to see it. If we'd acted sooner... Maybe all the students at Stoneman Douglas High School would be alive to see it and all the queer black and brown people at Pulse Nightclub in Orlando and all the country western music fans in Las Vegas would all be alive to see it. I'm going to toss out a Mahatma Gandhi quote right here because it's pretty relevant. Remember that all through history there have been tyrants and murderers and for a time they seem invincible, but in the end they always fall. Always. I am so confident, I am so hopeful, I am so optimistic at this moment that we are watching the fall of a great tyranny, the fall of the National Fucking Rifle Association. But it's not going to fall. These murderers, these tyrants, not going to fall if we don't keep the momentum going. Go to marchforourlives.com and help plan or help fund the gun control marches that will be taking place in Washington, D.C. and all over the country on March 24th. The march was called for by the students at Stoneman Douglas High School. Support it. Also, go to everytown.org, the organization founded after Sandy Hook, and find out how you can help vote out the NRA's bought and paid for politicians in D.C., The NRA claims to have 5 million members become a dues-paying member of every town like I just did to counter the NRA's claims and fight the NRA's paranoid, racist, xenophobic, murderous, tyrannical, anti-American agenda. The students at Stoneman Douglas have accomplished so much just in the last week. Let's all follow their lead. Let's hear their call. Let's get out there. Let's 
fucking do this. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, the free edition, lots of your cues, tons of my A's, and on the Magnum subscription edition of the Savage Lovecast, which you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. The show is twice as long, no ads. Robbie Suave from Reason.com is here to talk about what you should do if your kid gets mixed up in a sexting scandal at your kid's middle school or high school. That's on the Magnum. Here we go. Hi, Dan. I'm a mid-20s, single, cis, hetero female living in a major city on the East Coast, and I wanted to get your opinion on something in my dating life that I've been going back and forth on for a while now. To give you some background to my question, I'll start by saying that I'm a virgin, not by conscious choice in the sense that I'm saving myself for marriage or avoiding sex for religious reasons. I consider myself sex positive and would like to have a sexual partner, but it just hasn't happened for me yet. I've been going back on back and forth on whether I should tell guys I go out on a few dates with this fact about myself. I feel that casual sex is almost an expectation at my age, so when I get to the second or third date with a guy, I'm usually feeling that pressure. I don't want my first sexual experience to be a casual one, mostly because I find myself more turned on by emotional connections than physical ones. I don't want my dates to wonder why I'm turning down sex so early on, because that might seem like more of a rejection of them than a rejection of sex at that point in time. I've shared this with a few guys, and things either seem to fizzle out or I start feeling the pressure more and more with each date, like there is an expectation that we'll get there soon since we keep putting it off. It has also contributed to my overall anxiety on my dates when anything physical is happening. It's always in the back of my mind. To give just a little more context, I haven't had oral or PIV sex, but I have fooled around with some guys, and I also masturbate, so I feel like I'm not a virgin in the purest sense of the word. So what do you think, Dan? Should I tell the guys that I'm dating about my lack of experience or should I keep that one to myself? So you're not a virgin in the pure sense of the word, which implies that there's an impure sense of virginity. And we should just get away from the whole idea that virginity is purity and purity is virginity because it places a value on virginity that is unearned and shames people who are sexually active. It says that people – who are not virgins are impure or tainted somehow. And the taint can come into play when you lose your virginity, but people who are post virginity are not tainted. And it's important to remember, and and I think you get this, but I'm going to put a button on it and articulate it, that you don't have just one V card. You have a deck of V cards. You say that you masturbate. You say that you've done a little rolling around and messing around with guys. So you describe that as not a pure virgin. And I would describe that as you've tossed off a couple of cards from your V deck. Haven't tossed off the oral card or the PIV card or the PIB card, but you're not playing with a full deck anymore, which actually doesn't sound right either. So strike playing with a full deck anymore, but you're in it. You are to some limited extent sexually active. All right, so what do you do? You do what you're doing. You tell the guys that you're dating that you are a virgin. You tell the guys that you require an emotional connection to someone before you feel comfortable being intimate with them. And intimacy is a spectrum. It goes from the rolling around on the couch that you've already done to the full penetrative PIV sex that is now so fraught because you've been holding it back so long and you've invested it with such meaning and importance that I don't know if you're ever going to lose your virginity, at least not in your 20s. At this rate, are you going to lose your virginity? Because you're waiting for the perfect person to come along that you can gift your virginity to. 
And I think you want to date that person long enough to have an assurance that the relationship could never go wrong because if the relationship goes wrong or if you have sex once or twice and it doesn't work out, you're going to feel like you threw your virginity away or you wasted it on the wrong guy. And there are no guarantees. You will not know when you lose your virginity whether this is the guy you're going to be with for the rest of your life. So you need to shift your thinking. I've been hammering away at this point a lot lately. Maybe I'm going to sound like a broken record. But instead of thinking long-term relationship, but I can only lose my virginity in the context of a loving long-term relationship for me to feel good about having lost my virginity, you need to start thinking about losing your virginity possibly in a loving short-term relationship. There are no guarantees. So instead of telling yourself, I can't do this with someone unless he's the person I'm going to be with for the rest of my life, tell yourself, I'm going to find someone that I can do this with who might be the person I'm going to be with for the rest of my life, but who'll be a good person to do this with regardless, who will be considerate and loving, even if it's not forever, he'll be compassionate and kind and careful and go slow and he'll care about me in this moment and the moments before, for many moments after, but we don't know how long after. And then if the relationship goes south, don't redefine that experience as negative because, oh, you wasted your virginity on this guy and you only dated for another couple of months after that. If they were a good couple of months and a good experience when you lost your virginity, you should view it as a good and successful short-term relationship. You need to take the pressure off yourself. You've attached a great deal of importance to the loss of virginity. And you know what? It is important. Every card in that V deck is important as you lose them. It's emotionally and sexually significant. But – you don't want to grip that deck so tightly in your hand that you become fearful of losing even a single card to someone who might not be there forever. And unfortunately, we define there forever. We define the open-ended long-term relationship as the only successful kind of relationship. And you want to lose your virginity in the context of a successful relationship, which the culture and perhaps you yourself or your, the way you were raised psyched you up to believe that that only is a relationship where death did part those two motherfuckers. If both of you get out of the relationship alive, it was a failure. And with those kinds of stakes, it's not surprising that you're gripping your V-deck so tightly in your hands. Change your definition of a successful relationship and it's going to change the stakes and you'll feel more relaxed. If you're with a guy you feel good about and you feel like he's a possibility and there's intimacy and a connection there, you can relax. You can lose your virginity. Safely. Use condoms. Be responsible. Be on birth control. Talk about it. Be sure that he knows you're a virgin. And then let it go. And then make the best of that relationship. And it could be a relationship that lasts the rest of your life. But ask your friends. Very few of us are with the people that we lost our virginities to. Often for a reason. Because our judgment around who we want to be with and what we want sexually isn't always the best until we've had some experience. And we've had some different partners come along. Not everyone picks right out of the gate. Ask any Duggar girl. Hey, Dan and the youth. I'm a cis male out of Buffalo. I've been seeing this girl for a while. We met on Craigslist, but, you know, besides that, she's a total peach of a gal. I am crazy about her. She's crazy about me. Because of some bureaucracy snafu in her school, uh, you know, like basic university stuff, She's uh, she's been sliding by on it just living but now they've they've caught her and uh she might have to go back to the big apple or uh who knows <laughs>
But, yeah, she might have to go back to the Big Apple. You know, she has fallbacks and things like that. But uh, we're talking about a back-and-forth thing. And I'm a 23-year-old dude. Uh, I have no money because of uh, addictions that I have had and am uh, rising above. I want to see her some more, but who knows how that goes. I mean, she's a low-key chick, and I don't think that even without me that she would be going around with other guys. But should I follow her? Should I not? It's not that I have nothing else. It's that I I just like what I have, and I would like to keep... I like her, not what I have. I like what we have. You're 23 years old. You're not tied down to the place where you live now. You like this girl, and she has to go to New York. I don't see any reason why, if she wants you to come with her... You wouldn't follow her to New York. Could be a wonderful experience for both of you. But if the only reason you're following her to New York is to prevent her from going with other guys, if the reason you want to follow her to New York is to take possession of her, to pee on her like she's a lamppost and warn off all the other dogs, that's a terrible reason to go to New York. If you can do the long distance thing and continue to see each other casually and then determine in three months or six months that you still like each other and still want to be together, that might be a good time to move to New York. But if you're rushing it, if you're moving to New York sooner than you might like to, only to police her, only to prevent other guys from looking at her, potentially dating her, those are the wrong reasons to go to New York. Ask her what she wants. Does she want you there? Would that be helpful? Would she like to go back to the Big Apple with a boyfriend? And would she like that boyfriend to be you? Then perhaps you should go. But if it's only possessiveness and control that are driving you to make this choice, those are terrible reasons. So sit with it for a minute. Ask yourself why you really want to go. Why you really want to go. Police take possession. Your girl, bad reasons. You want to be with her and she wants to be with you, great reasons. So if it's the latter, after you have an honest conversation, first with yourself and then with her, if it is the latter, then go. If it is the former, then stay. Hi, Dan. I'm a bi guy living on the East Coast. I have a question about hygiene. Um, My boyfriend doesn't like to brush his teeth, and I can't get him to do that. I've gotten to a point where I've made sure to remind him, and I physically throw the toothbrush at him in order for him to remember, because sometimes he wakes up and just walks away and... I don't, I don't know where he goes, I guess, to make breakfast. And he just forgets about it until like 10 a.m. or something like that. And it, it uh, kind of grosses me out. I don't know what to do. I was inclined to take your side when you said your boyfriend doesn't brush his teeth and has to be reminded and badgered to brush his teeth. And he neglects his personal hygiene. Usually when someone says, my boyfriend doesn't shower or my girlfriend doesn't brush her teeth, they mean ever won't shower stinks, doesn't brush your teeth, they're green, they're rotting, they're falling out, terrible bad breath, what do I do? That isn't the case here. This is about the timing of when your boyfriend brushes his teeth in the morning. Sounds like you're a brush your teeth when you got out of bed before breakfast guy. And your boyfriend is go have breakfast and then brush your teeth guy. And there you are throwing his toothbrush at him in the morning. That's kind of aggro. And uncalled for if indeed he remembers every morning after breakfast to go brush his teeth. 
that's a toothbrushing preference. That's not neglecting your personal hygiene. That's a, I don't want to go to work with bits of granola stuck to my teeth. I would rather go have my breakfast than brush my teeth. So you need to back the fuck off. If you don't want to kiss him in the morning because he's got morning breath and then he's got morning breath plus breakfast breath, that is absolutely your right. You can say to him, I brush my teeth before I come down in the morning so I have fresh breath. And you like to brush your teeth after breakfast? Totally get it. But that means no morning canoodling until after breakfast and after toothbrushing. That's the reasonable boyfriend thing to do. Chucking his toothbrush at him from across the room is not the reasonable boyfriend thing to do. This isn't his personal hygiene problem. This is your problem. Hey, Dan. I'm a college student and I've historically dated older men. My university has been working on a policy to strictly prohibit undergrad faculty relationships, which I have a lot of problems with. However, many of my activists and feminist friends and communities on campus are in support of this policy. I completely get the power issue and would approve of the ban for relationships where there is a direct teaching relationship, but the all-out ban just seems a little shaming. I'm pretty alone in the few among communities I respect on campus who believe this policy would help more people than it hurts. So I'm wondering if you could provide some perspective. Are my personal habits and preferences getting in the way of a rational view of this ban? When I was in college, one of my theater professors was married to a woman who had been a student, and she was about 25 years-ish younger than he was. And nobody was particularly scandalized. Also, when I was in college, there was a lot of sexual harassment, sexual assault, rape that went unpunished, even unstigmatized, because it was a different time. And a lot of colleges and a lot of people have come to the conclusion that allowing for the occasional consensual relationship where there is a large power differential opens the door to the abuse of power by others where the relationship won't be consensual. It will be exploitative and so better to ban all of it, the consensual and the non-consensual, the power differential without an abuse of that power and the power differential with the potential or the actual abuse of that power to protect everyone. I think consenting adults should be able to do whatever consenting adults wish to do. I think people have a right to make their own choices. I think young adults have agency and can make free choices and then should take responsibility for the choices that they make. And I don't think people who are a decade or two older or five years older, sometimes you're talking about a relationship where the prof or the TA is three or four years older than the student. I don't think that those are all abusive or exploitative. But I'm not running America's colleges and universities or prosecuting profs on Title IX charges myself. Paradoxically, making these relationships forbidden and taboo in some instances is going to make them more arousing. The Romeo and Juliet effect if Romeo was a prof and Juliet was a grad student. That's going to happen. Also, there are a lot of young people who are attracted to older people. I would point out, though, that wherever you are, the college you're going to hasn't cornered the market on older dudes. There are older dudes in the community, in the town, in the neighboring town who are working at or teaching at a neighboring institution of higher learning. If you're in Chicago and you're going to DePaul University and you're attracted to older guys, you don't just have your profs and TAs to choose from in the older guy department. 
You can fuck the profs and TAs at Loyola University or Columbia College or the University of Chicago or guys who aren't profs and TAs. You can fuck them too. I do think that in your conversations with your peers that you should stick up for agency and consent and responsibility while acknowledging that there may be a rational argument for banning these kinds of relationships because, again, while allowing for relationships where there was a power differential where one person may have been a prof or even the teacher of somebody they became involved with romantically and sexually, allowing that not all of those relationships are abusive or exploitative, a lot of them are or can be and are experienced that way by the people who are in them, particularly if the older more powerful person has a habit of acquiring and discarding young acolytes and exploiting them sexually. In the moment, the person that is basking their attention may not feel abused or exploited. But once they've been discarded, they may view the relationship very differently. If You've got a prof who every year has a brand new undergrad girlfriend. That can be a problem. And there's a rational argument for banning those kinds of relationships. And there's the unintended consequence when you ban those kinds of relationships of making them more exciting, more arousing, forbidden undergrad fruit, as it were. Hi, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old gay male on the West Coast, and I'm calling for some family advice for me and my 28-year-old gay brother. First, some backstory. My brother and I came out almost a decade ago to our Southern Christian parents, and they don't support us. They still insist that it's a choice and that they won't meet our partners. So when I got married to my boyfriend of five years last fall and they said no to the wedding invite, I decided to adopt your philosophy of my only leverage over them is my presence. Right, here's the kicker. We have a baby sister who's almost 20 and still lives at home. We came out to her before our parents and she's always said she supports us and asks questions about our lives and our partners. But she's always straddled the fence of full acceptance when it came to our parents. I thought we'd pride her mind from their beliefs, but she broke my heart when she told me she wouldn't fly west for my wedding, despite my parents saying it was completely her choice. She said she didn't believe we should be married. We haven't talked much since then, and we used to talk all the time. So my sister is getting married this October to her boyfriend of a year and a half before she can even legally drink, and I'm already having anxiety about my invite. I'm pretty sure my brother and I will just get invites for one. My gut says we should RSVP as no if our partners aren't invited, but first, should we discuss with her what our invite for one means to us? Or should we attend alone instead of adding more insult to injury with another family member, especially since she's still under our parents' influence? Our partners say we should go alone. My brother and I will, of course, always have each other, but he's not as committed as me to exiting their lives because of our treatment. But I still feel like our responses should be the same. What do you think? I could really use your help here, Dan. It might be nice if you and your brother could present a unified front, if you and your brother could go to your sister and your parents and say, here's the deal. We're not coming unless our partners are invited to. But you can't force your brother to take your tack. So that may not be on the table. You have to decide what you're comfortable doing, what you want to do, 
and not impose on your brother or demand that your brother do the same. But you should certainly have a conversation with your brother about how to respond to this insult that you anticipate coming. Now, do your homework first. Before you get all head up about the insult, wait for the insult or call your sister and ask her if you are indeed going to receive the insult of an invite for one to her wedding, preventing you from bringing your spouse. If the answer is yes, that you're invited and your filthy homosexual spouse is not invited, in your shoes, I would not go to that fucking wedding. Your brother might make a different choice, but you get to make your own choice, and I would not go. Your parents didn't come to your wedding. Your sister didn't come to your wedding. What is it saying when you show up for theirs? Now, it might be a good idea to show up for theirs just to represent to be the bigger person, to show them the kind of love and consideration and compassion that they refuse to show you, to be the better Christian than your parents or your sister could manage being themselves. But, and, and, and here's where I fall out on that. Your husband is your family now. You two are one flesh. And your family would like to, at least for that weekend, at least for that event, tear you two apart. That invite isn't just a fuck you, you're gay. That invite is also, in their minds, potentially a a bomb they're lobbing into your relationship, a conflict that they are creating in your relationship. They're asking you to choose between them, between your family of origin, your biological family, and the family that you created with the man that you married. The person that you've chosen to spend the rest of your life with, they are trying to tear that up. They are trying to, at least for that weekend, sow discord and conflict in your marriage and your relationship. They don't know how chill your partner's being about this. They can't anticipate that. And I don't think, even if my partner was chill about it, that I would put up with that for one second. And I don't think you should put up with that for one second. They don't get to have a relationship with half of you. You and your partner are a couple. They don't get to rip you apart for a weekend and have you on their terms and demand that you show up when they couldn't show up for you. Fuck them. Fuck your sister and fuck your parents. That's what my RSVP would say. Fuck you, party of none will be attending. The division and discord in your family, in your immediate family, was created by your parents and created by your sister. It is not your job or your responsibility to be on your best behavior for the rest of your life. You can be the bigger person still and not go. You are being the bigger person, in fact, for your husband. You are showing him that he is who you've chosen. He is your family. And he is your future. And your sister and your shitty, hateful parents, they're your past. Hey, Dan, and at risk use, me and my wife, she's sitting right next to me. Um, I had to go to another state, another city in that state uh, for work. And for reasons that I'd rather not talk about, I wasn't really able to go hang out and enjoy that city. I just had to work and then go sit in my hotel room. My wife told me that I should go ahead and get an escort. Now that I did get an escort, she's telling me that I shouldn't have. Here's her side. That is exactly what I said. 
And I am now learning what the cost was. And I apparently was completely uninformed of what the cost of an escort might be. And I am a little taken aback at what it cost for him to make a sensible decision to stay in his hotel room versus going out and possibly having terrible repercussions. And I'm being a little salty about it. And I'm okay with the fact that he was with another person. That's that's not it. Uh, I'm just, I'm surprised at the cost and I am a little taken aback. So I'm having a difficulty with it. So, Dan, should I have called her once I found out that the cost was going to be $400 for an hour? Even though she had told me, go do that, and in the text said in all exclamation points, seriously, exclamation point. Was I in the wrong? You, sir, were in the wrong only... If you knew it would cost $400 and you knew your wife would object to spending $400 of your money, the both of yours, and you withheld that information from her lest she not give you permission to do it. If you knowingly, consciously withheld that information, then you obtained your wife's permission under semi-false pretenses and that's not okay. If you didn't think that she would object – if you assumed your wife knew that an escort in the big city was going to cost you 250, 300, 400 bucks for an hour and this was a misunderstanding, then you did nothing wrong. You asked your wife if you could hire an escort, she said yes, seriously, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. You did it, then it came out how much it cost and she objects retroactively. And now she objects to you having done it in the first place because you should have known that she would object. And again, this goes to your motive and your behavior and what you did. Did you know that 400 bucks was so much money that your wife would never have given you permission to do this and you actively withheld that information from her? Or were you unaware that she would object to that expense? If it was an innocent misunderstanding, wife, then you must let this go. And husband, you have to now file this away for the future that you may not spend that much money on an escort when you're out of town and you want to get some strange with the wife's permission, you're going to have to find another way to do it that doesn't involve the outlay of so much of your shared, presuming that you two have merged your finances, your shared funds. Hi. Um, I guess I have a lot of questions, but the one that is most present in my mind is do straight men watch transgender porn or would that be an identification of someone who is gay or bisexual or interested or curious or has no idea i recently discovered and we talked about it a little bit upon my discovery that my apparently straight boyfriend has had some curiosities in the past and uh, it seems that maybe something that turns him on is transsexual women, or at least transgender women, rather, and transgender porn, at least. So I'm just looking for a little light on this. Transgender porn featuring trans women, many of whom still have penises, mm-hmm. that's for straight guys. 
Gay guys don't watch that. I mean, okay. I can categorically rule out that there's not a gay guy in the world who's attracted to uh, trans women who have penises uh, and watches some of the porn. But overwhelmingly, the demand for that kind of porn and those kinds of sex workers and those kinds of partners, romantic partners, is straight guys. There are women, women with dicks. And there are some straight guys out there who like dick. Does that make them buy? Okay. You know, does that make them buy? Not necessarily. You know, I always like to say that sexual identity is a three-layer cake. There's what you want to do. There's what you are doing. Then there's what you tell people at the top. And the more aligned your layers are, the less messy a cake you are. Uh, but there's always a little like rounding up or rounding down in the identity area. You know, if uh, if a guy is into women, and I assume your boyfriend's into you, does he eat your pussy? Oh, does yeah. Does he love having sex with you? Okay, oh, yeah. So he's not a closeted gay guy who's like closing his eyes tight and pretending your name a movie star, a male movie star, male performer. He's not closing his right. eyes and pretending you're Justin Bieber or something. He's into you and he's into women. <laughs> But, you know, like a lot of straight guys who are just a little bit bi, a little touch of the bi, he's into dick. There's a reason why so much porn made for straight male consumers is so focused on dick. Right. Because a lot of guys like to look at dick. They like to compare dicks. They like to see a hard dick blow a load. Like the camera in a lot of straight porn is focused primarily on the cock. And if guys, all straight guys were repulsed by dick, that would not be the case. Right. Can I just say hello really quick? Yeah. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm the driver. Hey, so um, funny enough, I have a two-year-old child with a now uh, transgender guy. At the time, I mean, we met in college. He was very heterosexual and very into me and eating my pussy (laughs) and having sex all the time um obviously and we made a human uh he's now like totally not into girls she's a trans woman now well i don't know if i'm using the term properly but he does drag shows and stuff okay so he might just be into drag but in his day-to-day life there will be days where he dresses up as a girl but he also has days where he doesn't okay so So he's Gender queer, or he's bi gender. What does he? De- well, how does he identify, or she identify? Your former partner. I don't. I th- I'm pretty sure. I honestly don't know. I can't say 100. percent We we don't talk anymore, but um, that's what he's doing publicly. I think he's actually trying to build up a following more so as on his um, social media as being uh, a drag queen. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, maybe he was bi or gay and closeted or trans. Sounds like he's somewhere in the midst of sorting it all out and also performing it at the same time. And I feel I, I feel bad <laughs> yeah. for the kid you guys made together that this person, your ex isn't in your life at all and presumably isn't in your kid's life either. That's sad. Yeah, that's like, I think another, I mean, maybe some of his sexual like confusion there is you know, feeding into that. But I think that there's like a lot of other layers to issues that like have stirred up his life into a bit of chaos. But I mean, for me, selfishly, it's kind of better because I get to live my own life and I get to raise our daughter, like my daughter, Mm -hmm. how I want. I have, you know, more or less like full control 
Um, I would prefer it like this way rather than, than him being like in and out and sorting out his stuff mm-hmm. um, with her in this middle of it. Yeah. Right. The consistency of his absence as opposed to him blowing in and out and upsetting the apple cart. Exactly. But the, the funny thing is, is now, you know, and, and my best friend has always been there for me through it all, but it was just funny when everything happened with her boyfriend. So what you're saying, I mean, the reason you're offering your experience here is that it conflicts with the advice. I'm, you know, I'm trying to reassure your friend that his interest in transgender porn or uh, attraction to trans women doesn't mean that he, her boyfriend, your friend's boyfriend, isn't straight, that he can be straight and into trans women. Indeed, guys into trans women are straight guys. Gay guys aren't into trans women. Yeah. Uh, Regardless of how your dicks are, but your experience is that your ex was also, you know, showing some of the same things, was into your pussy, into sex with you, but then came out as something very different. But or gender-wise, you know, an unexpected transition or unexpected development or a, a, a new like facet of his life or her life. God, this is hard to talk about without with the pronouns flying around. And so maybe that means that, you know, your friend isn't as secure in this relationship as I might be leading her to believe she could be. Is that why you offer your experience? Well, I mean, you know what? Like when you say it, I guess, yeah, there is a part of me that's like, mm, but at the same time, I think that just experiencing what her and I have and reaching out and talking to people that we have, I, I mean, I'm just now more so of the belief that sexuality is just so incredibly fluid mm-hmm. and that there is no one like hard and fast answer um, to those things. But I, yeah, I guess when you say it, there's a part of me that when I look at their situation, I'm like, well, yeah, I guess that they could have a successful monogamous heterosexual relationship. However, at the same time, there is that part of him that I think he might want to explore a little bit more because he's done so in secrecy Mm -hmm. and he might have like an earning to explore it a little bit more, maybe not in secrecy so much or just, or just explore. Well, that would be a question for your friend. Well, well, first of all, I want to say that uh, I I don't think with men that sexuality is as fluid as it is with women. I think there's often a difference there. A lot of young men are still figuring out who they are and then figuring out whether they're going to tell the truth about who they are. And that can be perceived as fluidity, but usually it's pretty set after they start telling the truth about who they are and come out as who they actually are. And that's not fluidity. That's coming the fuck out of the closet. You know, I said that I was straight for a long time. Then I said I was bi. Then I said I was gay. That wasn't fluid. For me, that was tip, tiptoeing yeah. up to telling the, the the truth and the only truth about myself. Now, the question for your friend. But you were never into trans porn. Is I was never into trans porn. I was never into girls. I had sex with girls. I wasn't into girls at all. The question for your friend is, you know, can she let her boyfriend be who he is, which is a straight guy who's into her, but also a straight guy who's attracted to trans women? And is that if they're going to have a monogamous relationship, something she's comfortable letting him think about occasionally and explore with pornography and fantasy. If he wants to have that experience, can they have the kind of monogamous relationship or the hall pass that he might need to, to experience what that's like to suck a dick, to suck a woman's dick at some point in his life as an expression of his, his particular and unique brand of male heterosexuality, or is that a deal breaker for the original caller? And if it's a deal breaker for the original caller, right. then maybe right. this isn't the right relationship for you. Because I think that people really have this desperate need to be 
everything they are sexually. And people will agree to monogamy or agree to setting some part of themselves aside to keep someone in their life. And the longer that goes on, the harder it is to, to sustain and maintain that, to, 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 to go without. And not everybody gets everything they want. We all have to pay the price of admission uh, and, or many prices of admission. Maybe that's a price of admission he can pay and will pay and will pay without error to be with you, original caller. Or maybe he'll slip up. But this is a conversation you need to have with him about what's permissible, what's allowed. But if you know this about him to be – you know this about his sexuality, then you can't be in denial about it and he shouldn't be in denial about it either. And he shouldn't have to be in denial about it to be with you. I agree. This is the original caller, by the way. One of the things that you know has been so confusing for me in this whole situation is I was like, I'm not mad about what you like, just about the lying part, you know. Mm-hmm. And I tried as this thing, as all of this came out into discovery, I literally stopped our argument and said, "Listen, I'm going to be a person for you right now. Like, if you're into this, if you're this, if you're think whatever, like that's not shameful, mm-hmm. you know." So I've been trying to be open. With him, because I also don't think he's ever had anyone else in his life talk to about this. who will sit down and, yeah, and, like, sift through it with him and not be judgmental and, like, remove myself from the girlfriend role for a little bit to just kind of talk to him like a That's human great. being. It's great, and, that, like, it's great that you're willing to do that for him. And he's probably needed a person like that in his life for a long time. I would encourage you to let go of the anger. Like, you can understand why he would lie yeah. about this or hide it. And not share it with a romantic partner. He's in a position where he's never been able to share it with anyone. You know, he didn't create the cultural shame and stigma around his desires that led him to lie to the people in his life about them. I lied to people in my life about who I was. Think of the girls I slept with back when I was pretending I was straight or bi. I lied to them under under duress. I, I, I felt I had no choice but to try to learn how to be straight, even though it every cell in my body was screaming, Dick, right? I had to learn. And, and I like him underdress and I feel bad about it to this day, but I would hope that they would understand that I didn't make a free choice just to be an asshole and deceive people. I made a shitty right. choice underdress. And I think he did the same when he lied to you about this stuff, that the culture told him that you can't be who right. you are and have the things in life that you want if you tell the truth about these things to your partners or anyone else. Right. And I guess my biggest thing that I was trying to navigate was, okay, is is it just this maybe fetish or things that he's into that he's ashamed to share with me or is he is he trying to hide the fact that he is a different not not a straight man but i'm like this perfect kind of buffer into the land of people thinking that he's straight right are you a beard are are you a mask and is he gay i mean that's that's the concern here like oh he's looking at dick is he gay and he's faking it with me Right. Right. I mean, yeah, that's definitely a question. That it doesn't sound from the intensity and passion of the sex life you described having with him like he's a gay guy. I was a gay guy having sex with girls and it was not good sex for them. <laughs> it was terrible sex for them and for me, too. But it wasn't good. I didn't enjoy being with them. I didn't enjoy being in them, on them, near them. You know, it was like when you try to shove two magnets together and they're flipped around the wrong way. That's what that sex was like. And I don't think that's what the sex that you've yeah. had with him is like. So there's right. a little bit – it sounds like he's mostly straight, predominantly straight. And there's a little right. bit of his sexuality that's like kind of into dick too. And along comes women with dick. 
Right. Which is actually quite fascinating because I'm not going to lie, I definitely did a little research after the discovery because I was like, hmm, this is nothing I've ever looked at before. And it's kind of like some alien shit. Like, it's kind of fascinating, you know? Like, I kind of get it. I don't know. It's not for me, but... No, there's a lot of trans women with dicks out there who are really fucking hot. And there's a lot of porn out there featuring trans women with dicks. It's really fucking hot. And that porn, again, going back to your original question, and and I'm going to have to jump off the phone now, that porn is made for not gay guys. It's made for straight guys. Straight men. Good luck to you both. Thank you so much. Hey, Dan. I'm a straight guy living in a West Coast Canadian city. I love my progressive community, and I usually celebrate transgressions against uptight sexual taboos. But something happened recently that made me take a step back and question myself. The specific question was, am I a homophobe? So here's the situation. I I go to a gym that's right on the border of my city's vibrant gay village. It's a popular place for both gay and straight people. I'd probably guess that the male patrons are 50-50 gay and straight. The men's change room has a hot tub and a sauna in it where guys are increasingly hooking up. Recently, I was in the hot tub and one guy was getting a hand job while another was getting familiar with the Jets and the third was trying really hard to pick up the guy beside him. There were several visible erections in the tub. So when I was a teenager, I worked as a lifeguard. I know people like to try to get away with hooking up in public pools, but this is a weird liminal space between public and private. While it's not fully public, you're naked hanging out with strangers. So certain norms apply, I think. Because it made me uncomfortable, I thought about maybe complaining to management about people fucking in a tub or as it were fucking the tub itself. Uh, but I'm not the complaining type. I don't even really like to send wine back at a restaurant when I think it's court. I'm calling because I want to know your take. Would it have been homophobic if I had complained to the manager? I know gay people who've complained to management at gyms about exactly what you described. Was it homophobic of them? Not necessarily. People don't, want to watch other people fuck or not all people want to watch other people fuck and there are gay dudes out there who want to be able to get into a hot tub or walk into a sauna in a 50 50 gay straight gym without it being assumed that they're there for sex and without it being assumed that they are necessarily down for the sex or approve of the sex it's not a sex space and in a way that's part of what makes it exciting to get an erection in a sauna or have an assignation in a hot tub at a pool is you are breaking the rules and violating the rules. You are transgressing. And that, for humans, tends to be arousing. So you getting management to crack down a little bit on the sexual activity in the tubs or in the sauna, in a way, it reinforces the social norms that are that are being violated by these transgressions in the first place and therefore preserves the hotness of what's going on in the hot tub in the sauna by making it just that much more naughty again. Make sauna sex naughty again. You have that power. I don't think it would have been homophobic of you to go and complain, to say something to management about it getting a little out of hand and you feeling as a straight guy or if you were a gay guy, you feeling as a gay guy that you can't use the sauna or the, the hot tub anymore. Because it's a boiling soup of <laughs> fucking guys now. It would be homophobic of you to throw a fit, to physically assault someone, to punch someone, to jump out of the hot tub and scream 
faggot, faggot, faggot at the guys who were messing around. That would be homophobic. Asking the gym to enforce the rules that probably already exist about there not being sexual activity or sexual activity not being permitted in the locker rooms and the saunas and the hot tubs, not necessarily homophobic. Certainly somebody who was a homophobe could be motivated to complain, but you are not a homophobe, so your complaint isn't motivated by homophobia. And I bet there are some gay guys at your gym who don't use the Sonics. They don't want people to think that they're there for sex. And if you can, the assistance of management, stamp out the sex, you're going to actually make it possible for those gay guys to use the sauna again. And you're going to make it hot for the gay guys who, despite the crackdown, continue to get away with it. Hi, Dan. This is a cisgendered straight woman living in the South. Last night, my husband and I were having sex, and he he's into pee play, um, and I've since joined in with him and kind of, you know, grown into the fetish and all of that. Um, the last night out of the blue, he wanted um, some scat play, and he wanted me to take a crap on his chest and he wanted to use it to jerk off. Um, I am GGG and I'm totally down to um, pleasure my partner and, you know, try anything that he's interested in. And he's done the same for me. I'm a little concerned um, about hygiene and if this is safe and do you just have any tips about how to safely have scat play? I know you should avoid um, it going into your urethra or keeping it, out of at least the female genitalia area and wondering if it's the same for men and how to safely engage in this kind of play. I'm supposed to have lunch right after this recording session is over. Blah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, people out there into scout, but this is kind of a hard out for me, a big limit. Also, the tenants of GGG do not require anyone to poop on anyone or play with anyone's poop. Good giving in game, good in bed, giving of pleasure, game for anything within reason. And I've always regarded scat play as an unreasonable request and the internet was invented so that people who have, as I like to call them, the fetish too far can find each other and not ask people or not guilt people or not throw GGG in people's faces and demand that they engage in extreme kinks that for most people are hard limits, are not something that they can eroticize or get past. So holler, I hope you're not contemplating doing this just so you can have your GGG card in your wallet. You have your GGG card. You're allowed to have limits. You're allowed to say no. You're allowed to have boundaries and still consider yourself and be regarded by your partner as GGG. Hygiene. Yeah, there's really no way to engage in scat play that doesn't involve risks around bacteria, infections. Blech, it can't get in urethra. If it gets in an orifice, if you're just going to take a dump on his chest and then he's going to jump up and shower off, not a problem. If he's going to use it, use your feces as lubricant while he masturbates. Yeah, he may very well get some of that into his urethra and he needs to boil his dick before he sticks it back in you lest he introduce fecal matter into your vaginal canal which can cause all sorts of flora and fauna problems in your vaginal canal. I would, if I were you, just say no to shitting on my partner's chest. But if you want to go for it, you can go for it. 
hygiene isn't the only concern, though. When someone who's into scat asks someone who's not to engage in this kind of play, if you can have all the assurances about hygiene required, it smells terrible. And the visuals are potential libido killers. So be careful. If you go there, you may shatter your ability to connect with your husband intimately and sexually. And finally, a word to everyone out there whose partners have asked them to pee on them. Not everybody into piss play wants to upgrade to shit. A lot of people are into pee. They're into urine. It's mostly sterile. We had Mike Pesca on the show to scold me about the fact that it has now been proven that pee isn't sterile and sterile is a binary. It either is or it isn't. But it has fewer bacteria and pathogens than saliva and people pump that shit into each other's mouths at an appalling rate. It's usually not a problem, not going to harm you, piss. And most people into piss are not into shit. So your partner has asked them to pee on you and you've enjoyed that and you listen to this call. Please don't eyeball your partner with suspicion wondering when he or she is going to ask you to shit on their chest. I promise you, 99.99999999% of cases, that request is never going to happen. Hi, Dan. Um, love the show. Um, I was at a Super Bowl party and I heard, well, I know that I heard a lot of transphobic language, such as Bruce Jenner um, wouldn't say the proper name, Caitlyn Jenner. Um, nasty, nasty things. Um, all of this is coming from my boyfriend's best friend, who her, his girlfriend is is amazing. She's not a problem. Everyone else at the party was, they were uncomfortable. I'm very shy. I don't feel comfortable. I don't know what we're supposed to do. I just, oh, what do we do? What a nasty, bad seed. But this girl is so sweet. And this is my boyfriend's best friend forever. I feel really, really, really unsafe, uncomfortable, which he knows. And he agrees. And honestly, I don't know. I feel like this person should be cut off. So it's as if there is a room full of white people, none of whom are racist, all of whom are woke, and there's one shitbag racist asshole in the room yelling and screaming about Obama being born in Kenya and the Black Lives Matter movement being reverse racism and the extinction of the white race. And none of the non-racist woke-ass white people in the room spoke the fuck up. Speak the fuck up. By being silent in the moment, by letting this person get away with saying these transphobic things and all of you people in the room who are not transphobes sitting on your tongues, his assumption is that you share his opinion about trans people and you're as transphobic as he is. And kind of in the moment, you are as transphobic as he is because you're defaulting to transphobic, to the perception that you are transphobic because you're allowing this person to set the tone, drive the convo. To create the social norm, that is, I get to be transphobic and say transphobic things and no one's going to object because, hey, we're all transphobes here, right? Because there's no trans people in the room and we can let down our guard and just be fucking transphobic. Speak up in the moment. You don't have to cut this person off necessarily, but you do have to confront this person, best friend of your boyfriend or not. And you can have your boyfriend do it if it makes you too upset to do it or 
get everybody in the room into a different room for a second and say, can we all please object en masse to this horseshit? Because I'm sick of it. And I'm not transphobic and I don't think any of you are. And Why are we putting up with this guy saying these shitty things? He was saying shitty racist things. We would say something, right? He's saying shitty sexist things. We would say something, right? That's when tipping points are reached. That's when new social norms begin to be enforced. I'm 53 years old and I am white. And I remember growing up working class on the north side of Chicago. I remember when the shift came. I remember when the racist relative in the room was confronted. I remember when the racist relative in the room could run his mouth and the non-racist folks in the room would shut up, would let it go on. And I remember when the tipping point came. I remember when my parents, I remember when my grandparents started to scream at people who said shit like that in their presence and in front of their kids and in front of their grandkids. You can help create that tipping point now in your social circle. You can help enforce a new social norm. It doesn't allow for that kind of hatred. But you kind of got to do it in the moment. So the next time it happens, don't be so traumatized by it. Regard it as the opportunity that you missed last time to set the new social norm. And the new social norm isn't there's no such thing as someone who's transphobic. The new social norm is you don't have to put up with that shit and you will stand up to that shit in the moment. And if you have to engineer that moment, go ahead and engineer that moment. You know who this asshole is. He's your boyfriend's best friend. Get him in a room with a few other friends. Make sure trans issues come up somehow. And when he says something shitty, all you jump down his throat all at once. You outnumber him. And he wants to be a part of your social circle. He doesn't want to be exiled from it. And you may not be able to reach into his soul and yank out the anti-trans shit. But you can convince him that he's going to have to knock this shit off. And he can't speak this way about trans people in front of you because you will not allow it. And maybe he'll just shut the fuck up and think these shitty things. And that's okay. That's a start. And maybe he'll rethink the shitty things he thinks about trans people after he's been confronted by all of his friends. Because people don't want to be outside social norms. People want to feel like they are in the majority. And the majority of the people in the room that day at the Super Bowl, not anti-trans. Y'all needed to tell him that. Hey, Dan. I just had a one-night stand with a fellow I met at a hotel. He was really cute, and I was really excited about it. And when we started, I told him my one rule was condoms, and we were fucking around. The condom I had didn't fit in. And so I said, well, how about you take the condom off, and we both masturbate. I have a magic wand. Seemed like a great idea. And then he, like, tried to pull me on top of him to fuck him. I was like, what are you doing? He said, I want you to fuck me. I said, you don't have a condom. That's not happening. He was like, oh, my God, I forgot I had, I didn't have a condom on. How do you forget you don't have a condom on? And so we kind of didn't really do anything after that. And he was in my hotel room. And I was like, well, maybe we can try again tomorrow because it's a guy in my hotel room. And I feel like just not empowered enough to just tell him, fuck off. No, don't ever come back here again. And so um, he left. I don't want to see him again because I feel uncomfortable with a guy who might try to fuck me without a condom after I told him no. So am I my rights to just ignore him tomorrow if he tries to make contact? Should I have just told him fuck off in the moment he tried? Even if the sex was awesome, 
even if he wore the condom, even if he wore four condoms, you have the right to ignore him. That the sex wasn't awesome, that it was derailed by his effort to get you to reconsider your stated limit. You have the right to never speak to this man again. And you should tell him why. If he approaches you about sex again, you say, yeah, I don't want to be naked in a room with somebody who hears what I had to say about condoms and wearing them and then in the heat of the moment wants to renegotiate. In the heat of the moment is hoping that I will discard my hard and fast condom rule because I'm just so turned on or so carried away or I forgot that the condom wasn't on just as you forgot the condom. No, fuck you. You don't get another chance. You blew it. I said, you have to wear a condom. Condom didn't fit. That happens. I said, let's masturbate together. Mutual masturbation rolling around. That is awesome sex too. And you blew it. You could have had another shot at this. We could have gotten some different condoms, condoms that would have fit. And you could have had another shot. You could have fucked me if you'd played last night or the other night, right? But you fucked up. So I'm not going to fuck you again. Ladies, you have an absolute right to say to a guy, I'm not interested. Not at all. Not for another go. (laughs) You can get up and leave during the go that you had first thought you'd wanted. No, you can say absolutely. You can consent or withdraw your consent at any moment and for any reason. Helps let people know, if they've been shitty, what the reason is, why they're not going to get another crack at you. Definitely tell this guy. when he, Even if he doesn't come back around, even if he doesn't hit on you again, definitely tell him that his behavior that night was so off-putting that you will never be naked in a room with him again when he has an erection. Ever. He didn't stealth you. He didn't put the condom on and then position you in such a way where you couldn't see his dick when he tried to enter you. A lot of guys are out there doing that now. That is a kind of sexual assault. He didn't do that. He wasn't as bad as that. He presented you with his hard dick and asked you to sit on it. And you could see that there was no condom. And he was just hoping you'd change your mind. The sight of his glorious hard cock would convince you to ah, fuck condoms. I'm just so turned on. Ah, I'm going to sit on this dick and regret it later. He was playing games. He was being small M manipulative because he did give you in that moment, you did have a a choice to make. He was asking you to re-choose condoms or no condoms, which is a shitty thing to ask someone to do when they are turned on, when you're turned on, particularly with the gendered shit that goes on in a room when a man and a woman are having sex where the woman is socialized to defer to the man's wishes and prioritize his feelings and needs and his dick. Particularly shitty thing to do under that circumstance. And someone who's been shitty to you when you're having sex isn't someone who gets to have sex with you ever again. And the way that you, I'm going on so long about this because I'm just flabbergasted by the way that you asked, am I allowed to not have sex with this guy again? Yes. You are allowed not to have sex with this guy. Even the sex was awesome and consensual, And when you asked him to wear a condom, he went and got a full rubber gimp suit and every inch of his body was covered in latex. You're absolutely positively allowed to say no to this guy. We're going to take a quick break from your calls to speak with Robbie Suave from Reason.com. You will find some of the best writing about sexting, about the overreaction of prosecutors and courts and cops to teen sexters along with Sex work and other issues touching on sexual freedom at Reason.com. I encourage you to check out Robbie's work, also Elizabeth Nolan Brown's work there. Hey, Robbie, thanks for jumping on the phone. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. So you muscled into my territory last week. You're giving advice to parents of teenagers. <laughs> That's usually I know, and I, and I 
<laughs> and I don't even uh, have kids, so uh, <laughs> I'm just kind of uh, observing the uh, parenting world and uh, calling out bad, uh, bad, bad stuff when I see it. And one of the bad things that keeps happening is teenagers keep getting arrested for sexting and charged with possessing or distributing child pornography when they've only shared images of their own bodies with their girlfriends or boyfriends. And prosecutors and courts have threatened to throw kids onto sex offender registries. There have been cases where kids who were threatened with being placed on sex offender registries committed suicide. There are cases where kids are on sex offender registries. And you had some advice for parents who are facing an investigation. You want to unpack what happened and the actions this dad took? Sure. Yeah, this was a family with uh, with two boys, a 13 year old and a 12 year old at a public school in the Midwest. Um, you know, they found out from from their son that the school uh, you had found out that some kids were sharing, you know, an inappropriate photo of a, of a female student there. And they thought uh, that that this this boy had the photos and he said he didn't share any of them. He got them from somebody else, you know, and they, he had deleted them when he when he found out the, the school was mad about it. But they took his phone. Uh, the school resource officer at the school took his phone. This is the police officer that works in the school. I mean, we're talking about school resource officers uh, this week. And he took his phone and he said, you know, I, I need to get permission from your parents I'm gonna, to, to look at and see what you've got on there. And the, the police officer told the father on the phone, you know, your child could be facing uh, a felony uh, possession of child pornography because it's, a, it's an inappropriate, it's a sexually suggestive photo of an underage person. This father did the right thing. He immediately got a lawyer and, and the lawyer said, you know, no, do, you, do not unlock the phone for the, uh, for, the, uh, for the school resource officers. You know, do not let them look at this. Um, and they have kept, and so they haven't been able to do anything. They've kept the phone and the kid's probably not going to face, uh, face anything, but most parents and most kids don't understand that you, you don't, you, you have a right to talk to an attorney before you talk to a police officer, even in the school, the, the police officer is not like the principal or the counselor or your teacher, whom of course we want you to be honest with those people, not, not the school resource officer. And because, you know, this is not, you should not be facing, uh, charges for this kind of behavior. Parents might go into a situation like this thinking, uh, I'm just going to be reasonable. We're going to cooperate. This is going to be handled within the school as a discipline issue, unaware that the school may then uh, turn their kid over to the cops. They may have a zero tolerance policy that results in your kids being indicted for possessing child pornography. There have been cases where kids were indicted for possessing child pornography when the image on the phone was of themselves a picture they took of themselves, and they were indicted by overzealous prosecutors for possessing or distributing child pornography. And parents right. need to know. Parents need to know that you can't yeah. go into this circumstance because the stakes are so high and the potential consequences for your kids are so great that you can't go into this being the reasonable, cooperative one, expecting that this will be handled in a reasonable manner because a lot of schools will not handle this in a reasonable manner. I've I've covered a case of a of a kid, a 17-year-old who didn't he didn't share the pictures he received consensually from his long-term girlfriend. He didn't share them with anyone. He just and he they swapped photos. They were in a consensual uh, relationship, and he got his phone got taken because she had shared the photos with other people, and those boys had shared the photos. Uh, but so they took his phone anyway because they're like, well, he's you know he's her boyfriend, so maybe he has pictures. He he didn't do anything wrong with them. 
because the other boys were 16, they didn't get charged with anything. But this kid was 17. And they said, well, he's he's you know, he's more of an adult. He's more responsible. They, and they they charged him with a, they went after him for a felony child pornography possession and sexual exploitation of a minor. Ugh. These which, laws, which is just crazy to me, criminalizing sexting, which almost all kids are engaged in. They always make me think of laws criminalizing uh, marijuana use or possession. It kind of gives a license to the authorities and the police to arrest anybody they want to because almost everybody uh, has used pot uh, or you could search people for pot. And in most cases, particularly in urban areas, you're going to find pot. And it's just a license to the cops to to grab anybody uh, and arrest potentially anyone. And since all kids have phones, since all kids have cameras on their phones, since all kids – over puberty and in 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, they're dating, they're experimenting. And like adults, they're flirting via text and using images also to flirt. And sometimes those images are misused. We're not talking about revenge pornography here. We're not talking about slut shaming, which has resulted in kids uh, being harmed when photos are passed around without their consent. We're talking about flirting and sending text messages and pictures back and forth to the person that you're dating and just – this criminalizes puberty and childhood right now, the way kids live and express themselves sexually. And all of our kids are vulnerable to these kinds of sex-negative, crazy, out-of-control prosecutions. There's a bullseye in every kid's back. And parents don't seem to understand that until it happens to their kid. Right, and it prevents us from being able to have you know conversations about what's appropriate and what's not. You know, I, I want teenagers to be, to be learning, you know, that, that – you own your body, but you can't, you know, you can't initiate things with uh, sexual things with other people unless, you know, they, they consent to it, that you shouldn't, you know, give pictures you get to other people. I mean, these are things, you know, that teens should be educated about and we should be able to, parents should be able to have these conversations with their kids. Um, educators, to some extent, at least, should be able to have responsible conversations about this. But because of the police intervention angle and then the police very much in the schools. I mean, 40% of public schools have a police officer in it. Uh, it's a criminal justice matter. And even in cases where it doesn't end up prosecuted, I mean, usually the kid agrees to some kind of, uh, uh, you know, no, they're, they're not going to be convicted, but they get some kind of state-issued penalty. I mean, in the, in the case I was just telling you about, the, the, of the 17-year-old, he, he was banned. He can't use an, the Internet for for a year. <laughs> Can you imagine being a teenager and being banned from the internet? He can't see other kids his age because he's maybe he's a threat to them. He's a sexual predator. And he's not technically on the sex offender registry. This was just a condition of it of it not going any further than this. If his if his brother has friends over, he has to leave the house. I mean, there's no better way to turn a normal teenager into a into a crazy person, into an actually dangerous person than to isolate them in in, in the way that the that the state does when this is a this when this is a crime. But the takeaway here and from your piece, which was headlined, if a school cop threatens your 13-year-old with child porn charges for sexting, get a lawyer. The takeaway here for parents of teenagers who are listeners, if your kid runs afoul of school administration because there were photos, don't cooperate. Get lawyer the fuck up right away. It's in your kid's best interests. Amen. <laughs> Robbie Suave, read his stuff at Reason.com's Libertarian Publication. Don't agree with everything on the Libertarian agenda, but you guys are a thousand percent right on this issue, sex work and others, and I really enjoy reading your stuff at Reason, Robbie. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old cis female living in Northern California, and I've just been going on casual dates lately. 
And something I've noticed that my friends have also expressed a lot of dissatisfaction in is this phenomena of guys who just talk about themselves forever and don't ask any questions. And I try to be an active listener on dates by really listening to them and asking follow-up questions and keeping the conversation going. But I feel like sometimes I just keep this conversation of them talking at me and answering my questions just going on forever and it doesn't occur to them to ask questions in return. And so I'm wondering how I should approach this. Should I call them out and let them know that they need to ask more questions and that they're talking about themselves too much? Or should I just give them a taste of their own medicine and talk about myself way more? Or should I just say, fuck it, if he doesn't have the emotional intelligence or interest in who I am as a person to ask me questions, then he needs to go. But the thing is, I meet so many guys like this, and I just don't think it's fair how they think we're just riveted with their incredible stories of how much they drank with their frat boys in college and yada yada. Women were not made to sit and listen to your boring ass stories. Like, we don't got time for that. So, Dan, what do I do about these blabbermouth boys? Help. It's not just straight guys. I have definitely been on a few dates with gay guys who spoke endlessly about themselves. And I found it funny. I mean, I was never going to see that guy ever again. I, I immediately disengaged. I was no longer invested in any possibility of a relationship or even sex with this dude. And I would just sit and listen and wonder how long the monologue could go on while I said nothing. That would be my advice to you in the moment when you realize you're with one of these won't shut up about themselves blabbermouths. Stop asking questions. Stop playing along and make it a little delightful parlor game where you amuse yourself by literally getting out your phone and timing how long he can go on without me even going, mm-hmm. Just I'll smile on your face and eye contact and see how long it can go. At some point, he may become self-conscious and realize that he's being a douchebag and stop. And if that happens, then you're with a guy who is speaking, running his mouth because he's nervous, not because he's a self-involved asshole, but because he was nervous and he was just filling the silence with blather. And if he comes to that point and realizes what he's been doing and pulls out and apologizes and says, ah, I was just nervous, then you can give him another chance. Then you might want to suck his dick at some point later if he really pulls out of this dive but if he never shuts up and just goes on and on and on and doesn't even need you to speak, then he needs a real doll, not a date or a girlfriend or a partner. He needs one of those sex bots they keep promising us. Hi, Ben. I'm a 25-year-old woman calling from London. Um, recently, um, my parents split up about, well, about a year ago now, um, and I've always kind of suspected that my dad might be gay or bi, but never have had any real direct reason to believe that, just kind of an inkling, um, which my sister shares. And my mom's also made a couple of comments when she suspects it as well. And now that he's a single man, um, he's become kind of more curious about the gay community and taking an interest in watching Drag Race and uh, learning about trans issues and just kind of showing an interest in different sexualities and um, I don't know if that's just an interest or if it, you know, maybe has to do with that he's wanting to explore himself and his identity in a different way. And I don't want to embarrass him or out him, but my sister and I both feel like we want him to know that we're supportive and we want him to just live his best life, whatever that may be. 
And I was wondering if you had any advice for how to kind of let him know that and that if he does want to talk to us, that he can. And it's all cool. The off the shelf advice in a situation where you think somebody might be gay is to wait, is to let them come out in their own time. They'll tell you when they're ready. But there are instances where someone wants to say it but doesn't feel like they can say it to you or it's not something that you'll welcome or want to hear. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, my God, please just tell me. Please just tell me. So if you take the -the off-the-shelf advice and let your dad come out to you in your own time, if indeed he's gay, he may never come out to you. He may assume incorrectly that you and your sister are invested in his heterosexuality. You're a product of his heterosexual identity and his heterosexual relationship. And he may feel that you would be shattered by this news. And he may feel that he can't share this with you. And so he's sending up all these flares. That's the thing about when you're ready to come out of the closet and you're not letting yourself come out of the closet yet. You get super gay sometimes at those moments because you really want to say it and you can't say it. So you start showing it and demonstrating it. And that could be the case here. So I think you should go to dad and I think you should say, dad, look, Lots of straight guys out there like Drag Race. Drag Race, RuPaul was on the cover of the New York Times Magazine a couple of weeks ago. The whole culture is obsessed with Drag Race. I'm just wondering, Drag Race and this and that and then the other thing, if you and mom split up because you're gay, that's awesome. I hope that if that's the case, you would feel comfortable coming out to me. And if you're not gay and you're just an interesting, complicated straight guy, that's awesome too. But I just want you to know that whoever you are, I will love and support you and gay or straight. Put it out there. Put it on the table. And this violates the off-the-shelf advice that people are given about dealing with someone that they think, usually correctly, is closeted and struggling. But sometimes you got to violate that off-the-shelf advice. Sometimes you got to say to somebody, look, I know you're gay. Sometimes people are really hurting in the closet and they've convinced themselves they can never come out because the cost would be too great. You may assume he's already lost his wife, already lost that marriage and that relationship. He may be terrified at the prospect of losing you too, losing you and your sister, if he should come out. He may assume that you would be angry on behalf of your mother because he lied to her, perhaps under duress, but lied to her about who he was and entered into a relationship with her under false pretenses. And so he may be sitting there telling himself that he's doomed to live in the closet for the rest of his life, that that is the price he has to pay to have a relationship with his adult children. That isn't a price he has to pay. You should tell him. Hi, uh, I'm calling in regards to the woman in episode 591 who talked about her boyfriend's relationship with his boss. And I usually really agree with your advice, Dan, but I thought that uh, you were a little lax on this one. I think that um, I totally get that work spouses are a thing, But I think that this one is particularly weird because she's his boss and there's a power dynamic at play. And it actually made me wonder how normalized this is to her boyfriend. Um, I think she really needs to have a serious conversation with him about boundary setting because it sounds like this isn't your ordinary, you know, sort of jealous buddy coworker. This is his boss and there should be some professional boundaries in place. If it were my situation, I would be, and, and I was feeling routinely sort of denigrated by uh, my partner's boss, I would, I would have a real conversation with them about, you know, possibly even talking to HR. I don't mean to be alarmist, but I thought that the situation was a little weirder than you made it out to be. 
Hi, this is a, a response to the caller who just wasn't sure what to do with that garter belt her boyfriend brings you. I had the same problem because, like, I, why in God's name would I wear the same? Except that he likes it. So what I did is I got one, and we took a trip, like a, maybe a three, four-hour road trip. We were in the car for a little while. I drove, and I'm wearing this thing, but I'm also wearing over that kind of uh, like a dress. I think I was wearing a dress. And the point was that throughout the car ride for those three or four hours, that he couldn't do anything to me because I was driving. He's just kind of got a stare at it, and he knows it's there because it's kind of peeking out from under the hem of my skirt. And so he's thinking about it. It's getting him going. That gets me going. So when we finally arrived to our destination, everybody got going. So take a road trip. Hi, this is a comment regarding the woman that called in about her 10-year-old son searching porn on his phone. What the fuck? He's 10. It's, um, I've noticed a bunch of times people will call in and they're so scared of being sex-negative parents that they aren't using their brains. Like, you can't, a 10-year-old looking at you porn is not okay. Don't worry about sex-shaming him. Protect him. Like, there's a point where you still need to be protecting your child from media, not protecting him from the possibility of making him feel bad for looking at you porn. Like, he should feel a little bad for looking at you porn. That is not acceptable. He's 10. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, 206-302-2064. Get yourself some Savage Lovecast merch. Go to savagelovecast.com and click on shop. You can buy a t-shirt or a mug there. You're the biggest Savage Lovecast fan in your life. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's someone you love. But you can get them a t-shirt and a mug and more at savagelovecast.com. Click shop. And if you like my political rantings at the top of the show, you will love me on Blabbermouth and Eli Sanders and Rich Smith. The three of us get together each week to talk about the news. And there's always so much to talk about and rant and rave and yell at each other and pound the table. It's a good time. Get Blabbermouth wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Robbie Suave on Twitter at Robbie Suave. Suave is spelled S O A V E. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.